All right, we're going to continue on with the uh, mystery parables today, and we're moving on to the next couple. Hopefully we'll get through the next two. Matthew 13. On Wednesdays, I've been getting into some of the uh, deeper parts of this as far as going back in Scripture. A couple Wednesdays ago, we did Acts 16, talking about being led by the Spirit and who you might run into if you're led by the Spirit, the different types of people you may run into as far as uh, soft heart, or a hard heart, and be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in how you minister to what type of person you may come across. It's very crucial that you understand being led by the Spirit. We've got to be people who, if, if you don't get any word from God, you don't have any feeling, whatever, you, but you, got, you set out to do the work anyway. And whatever you see a need, you just do the need. You, you say, all right, I see a need, I'm going to do this. But in, your, in the process of walking to do what you see a need of, the Holy Spirit may turn you to another direction. And we have to be very uh, willing to be led by the Spirit. So that was Acts 16, if you want to read that. Uh, then this past Wednesday, we got into Daniel chapter 9, and we went into more detail of the, uh, of the 490 years, the 70 weeks. And, uh, you know, I, you know when you, people get confused by the weeks, and I think I mentioned on Wednesday, I could say, bring me a dozen. And your question would be, a dozen of what? Well, back in those days, and with the Jewish, the way they, they, the way they spoke, they could say, bring me a week. Well, we, when we hear the word week, it's, all right, you're gonna, I'm going to bring you seven days. But your, your response should be, just like the dozen, a week of what? Because to them, that was just bringing you seven. So if I say, bring me a week, you should say, a week of what? Well, a week of years. And that's what Daniel's talking about in the book of Daniel. So we went into some details on the book of Daniel, his prayer and breaking down those years and how it all lines up and how the times of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles, we, just, we got into all that. And that was all great. So Wednesdays have really helped out with that, getting into some of those other things. Now, the, the next parable that we're going to go over today is in uh, starting with 31, verse 31 of Matthew 13. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs. Notice the comma. And becometh a tree, comma, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. 
I'm going to go ahead and read the next one. It's the parable of the leaven. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which is yeast. You, put, you mix your yeast into the, into the dough and, and it rises and makes some really good bread, right? Okay, so it's, it's unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. So you put just a little bit in, that's all you got to do is put a little bit in, it will end up permeating through the rest of the, of the dough, all on its own. It'll just start permeating, and it'll go through all of it. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now, what most people think of... Oh, I want to read something out of... Uh, this, is, this, is just, this is a book called Jesus Our Lord. And this is real simple, the way he explains... This is John Phillips. And I, I mean... I can't say it any better. Now, we're going to get into more detail, but as far as just, just the basic meaning of what these two parables are. Okay, the third parable is the parable of the mustard seed. This parable introduces us to the devil's masterpiece. Really? Well, most people say that this, 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 tree, of, this tree here is the gospel. It just starts out with this little tiny seed, and then it grows, and it just spreads all over the place. That's not what it means. This is actually the devil's masterpiece. God introduces his church into this scene. It was intended to be the fruit of, a, of the little mustard seed, a humble shrub. Instead, it becomes something God never intended for the church to be in the world. It becomes a great tree with far-flung branches, a home for evil spirits. The birds coming and landing in the branches thereof, that's evil spirits coming in and landing in the branches of this big, huge organization that we call the church. But this, this is kingdom of God. And kingdom of Kingdom of heaven is what this is talking about. It's also kingdom of God principle as well. Because you'll see this parable over, I believe, in Mark. I don't think you'll see it in Luke. But anyway, it's, it's, it's remember I told you how kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven have a lot of very similar things. Okay, all right. This depicts the full development of Christendom that whole big network of all the people who say they're Christians. Okay, that which was supposed to be a church becomes instead a great worldly kingdom with its own sovereign state, its own head of state, its own armies and ambassadors. It signs treaties. It persecutes the true church. It its tentacles reach into all parts of the world. That's the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is trying to get them to understand. 
He knows by doing this in parables, the people who are going to put him on the cross are not going to understand it. And it's important that they don't understand and that they do what they're going to do. All right, now how about the leaven? The mystery of subversion, the doctrinal aspect of things. The fourth parable is the parable of the leaven, or the yeast, hidden in the meal. It introduces us to the devil's message. Well, I've always heard people say, well, this is the gospel. Just get a little, put a little gospel in and it's going to permeate. And then as time goes on, you'll have more and more. The whole world will be taken over by the gospel. Have you seen that happen? Have you seen that happen? Now, false doctrine, it takes off pretty good. Leaven throughout Scripture is uniformly and invariably used as a symbol of evil. I'll get into more detail a little bit, a little bit later. Though Paul uses it also as a symbol of moral evil. The truth is taught and Satan instantly goes to work to insert into Christian teaching the leaven of false doctrine. Many of the New Testament epistles were written to combat false doctrine. Oh yeah, I'm pretty much all... I'm, there's many instances, this is very true. Such then is the outward aspect of things during this age. Everywhere there is Failure, the enemy is not only at work, he enjoys great success. He always seems to win. Christendom is the result. When people think of the church, they usually think of that vast system of religion that began to develop around the third or the second and third centuries of the Christian era. You know, when I was talking about the uh, seven churches a while back. I can't remember if that was a Sunday or if that was a Wednesday night. Probably a Wednesday night. But that third church age, the age of Pergamos, is when the world and, the, and Christianity merged. Constantine figured out that he can't persecute the church enough to destroy it. The more you persecute it, the more it flourished. So back in, in the Apostle Paul's time, when he saw, before he became Apostle Paul... He is going out and he's severely persecuting the church. And what that does is it causes everybody to leave, to go to other places. That's when the gospel was being spread. It was under persecution. But then Constantine realized what was happening and he claimed to be a Christian. I don't think he was. He claimed to be a Christian and he figured out a way to incorporate worldly things with Christian things and he... he married Christianity with worldly. It was unequally yoked. And the Christians quit being persecuted. And then leaven creeps in, and then the leaven destroys the true church. So Pergamos, that was when that happened, which it was around the time of Constantine. All right, so the second and third centuries of the Christian era... And that is today represented by the Roman, the Greek, the, and Orthodox churches, the various Protestant and nonconformist denominations, the state churches, and a host of cults and organizations 
all of which claim to be Christian. That is not the church. It is Christendom. Christendom. Christendom, however you want to say it. It's the whole group of all of it together is what people have referred to as Christendom. I learned about it in a class I took a long time ago over at Western, the history of Christianity. Um, and that it that is what is seen in the first four parables. So that gives you a really good overview of what these two parables mean. Now I'm going to read some things to you out of the Word of God. So the parable of the mustard seed, think of that as outward development of air. That's what you see, the big the tree. Remember, a mustard seed is a shrub. It's an herb. It's, it's, it's an herb. It's, it does not... It's, it's not supposed to grow into a tree. It goes against nature if it does. But that's Jesus never wanted the church to become what it has become today. He he he. The, so the independent Baptists have. I think they've got it right as far as autonomy. You you are self sufficient in your little church. You're independent from any organization telling you what you got to do. You're accountable. To God, you're accountable to the elders of the church, the people that are in the church. You're accountable to each other, and you use the Word of God to set your standards. And if somebody gets out of the standards of the Word of God, another brother in Christ will come to you and say, look, this is what's happening. And if you are a true born-again child of God, you're going to recognize it. Your spirit will be pricked by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to change. Or eventually you'll just go off, you go somewhere else. The church should be like the mustard seed. You know how a tree takes a very long time to mature? And it's meant to stay there year after year and possibly even centuries. Could, a big huge tree could actually live for a couple hundred years, right? A tree is something that just takes so long, but a mustard seed, a shrub, a little uh, herb, it's got to go really fast and produce something, and then it's over. The church age is like that. Christians are like that. We, we as Christians, being the church, the body of Christ, we are to be like that and that, we're only here for a certain period of time. All right, it's been 2,000 years so far, the church age. It seems like a lot of time to a human, but to God, that's like a day, two days. One day is like a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is like a day. We've been around as the church, the body of Christ, in God's eyes, eh, two days. But yet we see it as 2,000 years. It seems like a long time. But it's nothing compared to eternity going that way and this way. It's a drop in the bucket. And that's the way we are. We're to be like Christ. He, he didn't belong here on this earth. He belonged in heaven. But he came down for a purpose. He was in the world, but he wasn't of the world. 
And if we're like Christ, we are to be the same way. We're just in the world, but we're not of it. You see how it's supposed to be? We're to be more like the mustard seed growing into an herb. We, we're not here long. Let's make the most of it. Let's, let's get this thing going. Let's produce the fruit that the, the herb is going to produce. Let's produce it because tomorrow it, we might be out of here. Let's boom, boom, boom. Let's get it done. Annuals are around for a year. Annuals pop up. They're out there right now. They're popping up. They're going to seed so fast, and they're going to drop their seed, and that plant's gone forever. But what they leave behind, and that's what we do. We, 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 we leave things behind. The people who've gone before us, they instilled it in us to do the same and to bring more people into Jesus. That's what we're here for. Now, the nation of Israel... It's represented as a tree, but the church is not. You know, back in, uh, in Judges 9, it talks about uh, wanting a king and going to... It, it says the trees... This is, this is Judges 9, 8 through 15, and I'm just talking about it. I'm not reading. I'm just going to talk about it. It says that the trees went to the olive tree to ask the olive tree to rule over them. And the olive tree's like, why would I want to do that? And then the, the trees went to the fig tree, and the fig tree had his excuse why he didn't want to. And then they end up going to the vine and asking the vine to rule over them, and the vine like, had its excuses, and they go down to the bramble. So it's, it's like they're, they're, their standards get lower and lower. And then they, they, God said, why, why do you want a king? I mean, why would you want a king? People wanted a king. And they end up settling for some pretty pitiful kings. Very pitiful. Very few good kings that you, could, that you can come up with in the, in the Bible. So Israel is talked about as trees because they're of the earth. The nation of Israel, in the, uh, the, the parable we'll get into later, the treasure hid. In the earth, that's Israel. But the pearl is the church that comes out of the ocean that represents the Gentiles. Uh, so we'll get into that later on. So let's, let's uh, the, old, the, all right, the, pro, the old prophets saw the future millennial kingdom of Christ. That's when you go back and look at through all the prophets, they saw ahead to Christ come. All right, they're like, Christ is coming, and he's going to set up an earthly kingdom. And they were waiting on it for, for hundreds of years. And then they're under Roman oppression, and then Jesus shows up in Bethlehem. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, we're getting somewhere. Oh, all of these prophecies are lining up. They were expecting him to set up his kingdom to come as a warrior and to free them from Roman oppression and everything was going to be great. That's what they saw. What they didn't see was the gospel age that we're in now. They didn't see it. And you can't blame them for not seeing it because it wasn't there. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to read some things to you to, exp to show you I'm not making this up. So uh, turn to Colossians. 
Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be reading toward the end of Colossians. And we're going to be right around in that area. We're going to be, uh, we'll be in Ephesians, and we're going to be at Romans. Colossians is right after Philippians. Chapter 1, starting with uh, verse 24. Listen to this carefully. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Sound familiar? I've been saying this a lot, right? Church, the body of Christ, that's what the church really is. Whereof I am made a minister. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the people of Colossae. According to the dispensation of God, I've talked a lot about dispensation. There are certain religious leaders out there that just scared to death of the word dis, uh, uh, dispensation. They, it scares them. Well, the Bible has dispensation in it quite a bit, so pay attention to it. The dispensation which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Listen, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. See, I'm not making this up. It's here in the, in the Word. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of, his, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ Jesus. Now, pay, pay close attention to this last verse. Where unto I, this is Paul talking, I also labor, and it should be us talking. This should be what we say along with what Paul's saying here. We should be saying, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Have you ever heard anybody say, uh, the Lord helps those who help themselves? And then you, you, then you hear the religious person say, well, that's not in the Bible. That's nowhere in the Bible. And, and really, it's not, except for right here. The Bible doesn't say the Lord helps those who help themselves. We're, we're, we're to teach people, quit trying to help yourselves and let the Lord do it. But when we get saved, when we accept the free gift of salvation, then we get busy. And it's not our power that helps us go do the things of God, it's His. So this is the best verse in the whole Bible that matches up with God helps those who help themselves. Even though that's not really said, but it says... Whereunto I also labor. I do, why? Striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. That should give us encouragement that, like I said earlier, you see a need, do it. Go for it. Well, I don't know if God's calling me to do it. I don't care. Do it. You see a need, do it. And when God sees you take the effort to go do something, he said, ah, there we go, a worker. I'm going to come alongside of them and help them in that. A lot of times, we're just sitting back in our, in our lounge chair going, I haven't heard anything from God. I, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. 
It's just too hard to go do those things. And you just sit there and wonder why nothing ever gets done when you just need to get up and do. And God will say, ah, he's serious. And he'll come right alongside of you and help you. All right, back up to Ephesians chapter 2, the end of chapter 2. You're just going to back up a few pages. Uh, 2, 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit for this cause. The reason I read that was because of this. For this cause. That's where I wanted to start reading, but... I wanted to you see what what for this cause. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, there's that word again, dispensation. What dispensation are we in right now? We're in that dispensation of grace. The dispensation of grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how by that revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. See there? The old prophets? It was hid from them. They didn't see it. There's a reason they didn't see it. Because Jesus needed to be betrayed and hung on a cross for the mystery of the dispensation of grace. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. See, if he would have came and set up the earthly kingdom like they were expecting, then the Gentiles are left out. No hope for them. So when he, when he shows up in Matthew, he's in the book of Matthew it says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If they would have actually set it up, the Gentiles are out back. Too bad. It's all part of the plan, but it was hidden. But it's made known to all of us. It's made known, made known to us in this Bible. Paul is sharing it with us. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. God's power will make things happen. It's not something we just talk about, something we just say we believe. It will make something happen, and he wants us to do it. <clears throat> unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, 
and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. There it is. It's again, it was hidden. <clears throat> to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of Him. See, we are able to go right to the throne of grace in heaven. I did it earlier. I kneeled down here at the altar and I went right to the throne of grace. And the reason I'm able to do it is because Jesus made a way for me to be able to do that. Wherefore, I'm, I'm going to finish up uh, chapter 3. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the, the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You see the theme here? We're not to be Christians in word only. We are to do. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now, just a couple verses in Romans, at the very end of Romans, in chapter 16, the end of Romans has two endings. It ends at 24, but yet there's three more verses. 24 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then there's more verses. And that's the ones I'm focusing on today. 25, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only, wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Two endings. <clears throat> so there's three different places. I like to do three examples. Three different places where it talks about the mystery, this mystery, this church age, the gospel age, the body of Christ, all that was hidden but now it's made known to us. Isn't that cool? Now, there are those who do not believe. Well, I shouldn't say. 
that. I should say they don't understand the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and they will say things like, there's really not going to be a thousand-year reign. I just heard that, like yesterday, from someone that I love to listen to. They, under, they, they understand the kingdom of God, that you don't have to wait for Christ's second coming you don't have to wait for the millennial kingdom to be in the kingdom and start living for God and to have everlasting life. They understand that part really, really well. But they don't understand the kingdom of heaven. They don't see the difference between the two, and they're confused in that. And there's going to be areas in their life that they're going to struggle, and they're going to argue, and not going to have true peace in it until they see it. But in the meantime, they're still going to do good work for God. I just hope you see it. Now, uh, all right, our time's about up. So, real quick about leaven or yeast. You know, I, I, I say, I keep talking about leaven, and, and certain people will say, what's so bad about the number 11? You keep, keep bashing the number 11. You know, being funny. They're being funny. What's that? <laughs> That's yeast. Notice that, all right, again, people will say, I already mentioned it, that they say it's good. I, I've heard, I was telling Joseph about a book that I read years ago by a very prominent Christian person, uh, Henry Blackaby. I was telling about a situation I was in, and I really needed confirmation, and I walked into what used to be Lifeway Christian stores over there at Valley View, and when I walked through the front door, I, and I, I don't want to go into all the details of what was going on then, but I needed something. I was praying, and I was, I, it was, I was, I had a time that I had to be done with this. I had to get this settled, and that time was fast approaching. And I walked in, and it was almost like this book was glowing. I was just drawn to it, and I went right to it, and I grabbed it. And it was a book by Henry Blackaby. It was, let's say there was 15 chapters in the book. I still had the book somewhere. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <clears throat> I have never read anything as fast as I read that up into, let's say, chapter 13 or so, somewhere in there. He explained everything perfectly, exactly what I needed. It's what I, it's what I needed to do what I had to do. And to be able to go back and read those chapters again, I, there's no way I'd ever be able to read it that fast. But I didn't get to the last couple chapters. It was all by design. God did not want me to read those last two chapters. What I didn't know is what he said in the first 13 chapters, 14, whatever, that was perfect that he totally destroyed in the last two chapters. Totally destroyed it. To explain the gospel and righteousness, and he explained everything perfectly all the way up to there, and then, he, and then goes from there and just totally destroyed what he built up. And if I would have read the last two chapters, I would have been crushed, and I would have not gone and did what I did. He said that leaven was the gospel. And, and this, is something, this is what this author, author said in another time, another publication, whatever. He was one that believed that the leaven was the gospel and it's going to you just get it out there and it'll just go everywhere. Wrong. It's not. It's, it's 
false doctrine getting into the church. That's what leaven is. And you allow it to come in, it will permeate and cause doubt and cause problems in the church. The word leaven or leavened or leaveneth is in the Bible 39 times. Now remember, 13 is the number of apostasy. Apostasy. So it's, it's, it's three groups of 13 makes 39. That might have some significance. I think it does. That's why I count them to see. But there's a cure for leaven, and it's three, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 16, in Matthew 16, twice in, in one chapter, it says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In Mark, it says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It also says in Mark, Beware of the leaven of Herod. Did anything good come out of Herod's mouth? Jesus was always fussing with the Pharisees. He says, Beware. So, there, there are places back in, uh, in, in, in the Old Testament that talks about purging leaven out and don't make the bread with leaven. And it, it was all kinds of examples of leaven being bad and to don't let it in and all that stuff. Just let, let the Bible define words. Let the Bible define words. All right, our time is up, so we'll continue on with these mystery parables. And uh, if you have any questions about uh, any of this, please let me know. If you have a book that you want to borrow, let me know. I got plenty of them, and Michelle would love to get them out of the house. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Father, we thank you for your Bible. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who are totally confident in your word, and Father, thank you for making the things that have been hidden from ages gone by. Thank you for making them appear to us. Thank you for giving us eyes that can see, ears that can hear. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that this word would, would make us more able to understand that we need to be servants for you we need to be sons and daughters who are willing to go out and to do your work, to have relationship with you. Father, we know that you have all kinds of things you want done, and you want someone to come alongside of you and have relationship with you and to share your love to those who are out here in this world. And Father, I pray that you would help us with that, that we would, we would uh, always be aware of it, that we would be wanting to be in your word. We would be wanting to come to this church and, and assemble together. Father, help us. Help us in everything that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.